pressure is on for Norwich City ahead of Sunday's crunch clash with Leeds, but Stuart Webber has attempted to clear the air ahead of the return to Carrow Road. Welcome to the latest edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. We're also coming to you live on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and the Pinkin EP and Evening News websites. Uh, we thought we'd do it a little bit differently because we need to take a deep dive into Stuart Webber's interview. We also come to you in association with Future Radio 107.8 FM. Joining us is my colleague Connor Southwell, who was in the room for that interview with Webber at Carrow Road yesterday, as well as aspiring sports journalist and City fan Jez Arlo and Canaries Trust Chairman Rob Sainty, who I'm sure you'll all recognise as being an EDP and Evening News columnist. But Connor, let's come to you first. Just uh, give us a feel for what it was like to to be in the room. I mean, I, I think there was, there's an element of all of this that Stuart kind of couldn't win whatever he said because there's lots of differing, differing thoughts on the situation. But he was as, as bullish as ever, wasn't he? Yeah, it was it was really interesting to kind of sit, absorb, listen to. I mean, he's he's always an interesting person to speak or to listen to, rather, because you always know that you're going to get something opinionated, usually something pretty strong on on a certain subject or uh, a few certain subjects. And, and and he certainly delivered again yesterday. But like you said, ultimately, I think we we won't be able to judge his comments and his words probably until around half past four on uh, on Sunday afternoon when Norwich City have played Leeds and everyone trudges out of Carrow Road. I think if, if they win, then this looks inspired, doesn't it? And if they lose, then it probably just um, doesn't doesn't help anyone and probably ramps things up even further. So, yeah, the predicament that Norwich City are in at the moment, he needed to come out and say something. Um, he needed to... Uh, he needed to obviously address that performance last weekend, which was, for anyone associated with Norwich City, as, as we spoke about a great lengths on, on the podcast at the weekend, was just not good enough, not acceptable, pretty embarrassing. Um, and this week, there's a lot of pressure on that game against Leeds now. And it was interesting to hear his thoughts on, on certain things, Farker's future, um, maybe questions directed at him in terms of recruitment as well. Also, the criticism that Norwich City received. So, yeah, all in all, it was um, it was interesting. I'm not sure he really said anything that I kind of sat back and go, oh, I wasn't really expecting to hear that. Um, but he did need to say something, if only to kind of take a little bit of the heat off, off Daniel Farco, which has been mounting a, a lot in the last few days. It certainly has. And our first comment sums that up pretty aptly. Um, the fans said last week, Weber has to speak to the media. We need to hear what he has to say. So, Rob, if I come to you on that, really, that it's a difficult one for Stuart because, you know, he goes into these things with his line he's already chosen and he's decided not to go in the direction of, yes, the pressure is on Daniel. He's got two or three games to keep his job. But you gen generally don't hear chairman, chief executive, sporting directors, etc. say that sort of thing anyway, do you? No, that's right. <clears throat> and what we didn't get as well, which is quite interesting, is is the vote of confidence, which is is another you know, favourite cliche. He didn't say he was untouchable, but obviously he, he did everything he could to, to uh, take the pressure off him, which is is good. You know, it's exactly what Farker does with with the players most of the time, um, and it's part of the club ethos. Um, so yeah, I mean, he he, he couldn't win as as you've said. Um, you know, we had fans earlier in the week saying, oh, you know, why isn't Weber coming out and, and, and talking? Why isn't he making a statement? And then he comes out and makes a statement and some fans are mollified and others say, but that's not the statement we wanted to, him to make. So um, it, you can't please all the people all the time. 
You certainly can't. And after a 7-0, it is raw. It's hurting a lot of people. That's quite obvious. And the alarm bells are ringing. For some people, they've just decided that Farker... It's kind of the traditional answer in football, isn't it? Something's got to change. The thing you can change is the manager slash head coach. Um, as Robert Marsh says on YouTube, it's all very good saying get behind the team. But after nine games and seeing very little improvement, it's a big ask. Uh, keep the comments coming. We'll get through the, as many of them as we can, probably mostly in the in the second half. But, Jez, the, I, I think the... The comments which have probably created the biggest stir this morning, um, because Stuart sort of stood shoulder to shoulder with Daniel, hasn't he, and said, no, we're all as one, we're all as a team, we're united, don't just blame Daniel. It's the comments about the fans being firmly on board and united and creating a big atmosphere at Carrot on Sunday that seems to have created that biggest stir, doesn't it? Well, he's tried to... Daniel Falk did it before Watford, didn't he? He tried to emulate a rallying cry and it kind of does feel like that's what Stewart's done. But, you know, we, the fans have they've been behind the team before pre-season even started for ages and we've had some terrible performances. And like the defending against Watford, for example, the second goal, they just stopped. I don't think I've ever seen a team, I, I may be exaggerating, but just stop. <laughs> and it's like, you can't, that's down to the manager, surely. Like he's got to lift those players up, hasn't he? Um, you know, at Brighton second half, the fans, it was brilliant. They apparently it was. I wasn't at the Man City game when we beat them, but that was electric. Apparently, it was the best atmosphere they've heard for a long, long time. It was good. Uh, second it, half, to be fair, I, I was there, and it was it was brilliant. The atmosphere was it was crazy, and I don't think fans can be that excited like for the whole ninety minutes. You know, you've got to give them something to cheer and. We haven't had that, you know. Um, we're quite fortunate that the big losses have been away from home. Really, you could say. I mean, the highest has been three goals. Really, when seven and five away. I was at the Man City away. I, yeah, that was that was bad. What was it? <laughs> um, seven nil. Oh, no, I, I was, at, I was at the Man City. That, that I mean, that right. was bad. And only okay. Weber touched on the Chelsea game. You're thinking. Mm. There's so many performances where it's just been such a letdown. And we've got good players. I, I I believe we've got good players. And I just feel like he's not getting the best out of these players, Farg. It's, it's really tough. I really want him to turn it around, but I just can't see it. Yeah, the, we spoke about that in the in the pod earlier in the week or, or Sunday, wasn't it, Connor? That there's, the affection is still there. That a lot of clubs in this situation, there'd be a lot of nastiness and a lot of negativity being fired towards. You know, just look at Steve Bruce's situation at Newcastle, which was complex, wasn't it? But we haven't seen it, thankfully, turn nasty against Farker. It's just people are so worried at the moment. Um, but we should say, you know, to be fair to Stuart and stuff, he was strong on what's gone on. He said it was diabolical on Saturday. He said it's been unacceptable so far this season. He didn't He didn't dodge the criticism, did he, Connor? It was just more really that, no, we're not giving up. We're not throwing in the towel. We're going to dig in even more. Yeah, yeah, it, it was that. And um, I mean, it's, it's really difficult because, as we said right at the top, he probably knew as well that he was walking into a situation that irrespective of what he said, it was going to be something that, that some fans didn't want to hear. Some fans would would take the right way. Um, I, to be honest, I felt some of the um, jibes at supporters were 
I understand what he's doing. I think it was deliberately provocative. I think you, you may argue it, it gives everyone now an opportunity on Sunday to turn up if you're a fan, whether you agree with him, go, oh, yeah, we're going to get really behind him. Or no, I'm going to prove him wrong and make loads of noise. So I think in, in many senses, he, he's tried to he's tried to do that. I think um, equally, it's, it's the old chicken and egg argument, isn't it? Does, does a fan need to get the team up or does the team need to get the fans up? I think it, it's a two-way street and it, it works a bit like that. So it's... Um, yeah, it's it's all it's all really interesting, uh, and as you said, ultimately the only thing really forget words, forget talking, forget whoever comes out and speaks. The only thing that's going to relieve the pressure on Norwich City at the moment is um, is winning football matches, and it's as simple as that. And, and they haven't done that now for nineteen in, in, in the Premier League. Um, whether you want to span seasons or not, that doesn't point to luck or uh, or being unlucky. It doesn't point. Uh, to any sort of context, it just suggests that as, as a football club, as a coach, as a squad, you're not good enough at this level. That's that's half a season of football. So ultimately, the talking will need to be done on the pitch. And and, and like you say there, Dave, I think there is a, a frustration or maybe sadness as well to it. The, the whole the whole Daniel Farker stuff because of what he has built here, because of what he has achieved. Um, oh, interesting. I was listening after the Manchester United game to to Gary Neville speak. He, he obviously had a a brief stint as manager of Valencia and. Um, he was talking about how difficult it is as a coach to recover from a 7-0 defeat. It's it's very difficult to do because ultimately now he's going to be questioning everything. His approach, the players he's used, the tactical setup, um, despite sort of three weeks where things were beginning to slowly improve. Maybe not at the rate of knots that Norwich City needed and that the fans wanted, but they were pointing in the right direction very, very slowly. And now they've gone in completely the opposite direction. So... Um, I'm, I'm fascinated more than anything to see how he responds to this and how the squad responds to this. And um, I, I wouldn't disagree with any of the words that, that Weber used to, to kind of assess that performance last Saturday. You and Jordan H. Cook on YouTube are on the same wavelength, Connor. It's chicken and egg. He can't expect the fans to give it large until the team shows something different to two years ago. And a fair point from Stephen Dewing as well, of course. Uh, just because Weber has spoken doesn't mean the fans have to agree with everything he says. There's still questions unanswered for me. That's that's a totally fair viewpoint. And just because Stuart Weber has said it doesn't mean it's gospel. Um, you know, the... It sort of interested me that the Buendia stuff has got a bit of um, uptake this morning about Stuart um, saying that Emmy had said he didn't want to play for the club again. He, he said all those things in the summer when Emmy left. It seems to have just been forgotten about. He said that Buendia had made it clear that he wanted to get out. As we reported, Emmy more than doubled his wages. Apparently, it's 70-odd thousand a week. So I thought the Buendia thing was put to bed, but apparently not. That's sort of come back round. Robin, do you, do you think... Do you feel that Stuart was strong enough on what has happened on the pitch so far this season? It, you know, strong words as as usual for him. Um, but it, with the context that he was, he's still saying these things like, we know what we've got under the bonnet. Um, last time I sent Daniel to war, uh, war without a gun. This time he's got a gun. We've got the ammunition, but we don't know how good the ammunition is. So has his evaluation of what's actually happened on the pitch so far this season satisfied you enough? Um, well, I'm not quite sure what else he can say, Dave, to, to be honest. You know, if he comes out and says, well, actually, the players we've got aren't good enough, then, yeah, that's writing off the, uh, off the season. That, and he's not going to do that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, this is the most pressure that Daniel Fark has been under at, at Norwich and, by extension, um, Stuart Weber as well, because, mm. you know, neither of them... Uh, you know, are going to benefit from having another 
pretty limp um, relegation on their CVs. You know, they're, they're both ambitious people. They've, they've both built good reputations. Um, so, yeah, I'm not sure he could have said too much more than, than, than he actually has. Um, but just picking up on the Wendia thing, I, I think this is something that happens when a manager's under pressure, all sorts of things crawl out of the woodwork and get re, you know, revamped. Uh, I've seen, you know, lots of people sagely um, stating that he's lost the dressing room. Well, you know, that's rubbish, frankly, because, you know, we got stuffed at Chelsea, but we just come off probably our two best performances of the season. And I appreciate that's not a particularly high bar, but we had you know, produced the only two positive results that we had all season. So, you know, I, I don't know why he would have suddenly lost the dressing room last week. Um, and, you know, it reminds me of, of the Brian Clough situation at Leeds. I remember reading a, a quote from Johnny Giles uh, saying that, you know, people people said that the, the players forced Cloughy out and that's nonsense because professional footballers all have uh, a very strong streak, uh, streak of self-preservation because if uh, if one manager goes, we need to get on with the next one because otherwise we're we're on our way as well. So, um, you know, I, things clearly aren't clicking, but I don't think it's because uh, Farker's lost the, the the faith of the players. Maybe he's lost faith in one or two players himself. You know. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we, we all speculate from a distance. None of us have any facts. None of us have any inside information. Um, but it's inevitable that, you know, the rumour mill is going to grind exceedingly quickly at a time like this. Yeah, well, Grant Hanley was asked it after the Chelsea game and he basically dismissed it as almost... It's a bit of a similar thing to how, how Stuart has spoken uh, yesterday, really, in terms of, well, of course, Daniel can be successful. It's not just him. It's us as a team that we've got to sort this out. Um, the other side of all this, Jez, is Stuart's future as well, which he, he gave a little bit of an update on, didn't he, in terms of there is sort of there's news on the way, essentially, is what he what he said, that um, they're going to maybe get that sorted in the international break and that there will be an update on that. So we'll have to wait and see what that is. Um, a comment from Mark Edwards very weak of Weber to say his future doesn't matter right now. Surely, as head of all things on the pitch, it clearly does. Left me thinking he wants to go, but his stock is clearly low, I think that's supposed to say. Um, there is that big element. Um, sort of a, it's, it's sort of an elephant in the room, although Stuart insists it is a very, very small elephant right in the corner of the room that none of, none of us can see. <laughs> He's never really entertained um, that his future matters too much, has he? But this felt like he's really aligned himself and stood shoulder to shoulder with Daniel in terms of their future. But the the whole idea of having a sporting director and a head coach, I'd always thought really was that the head coach could be that little bit more dispensable, that the sporting director was the sort of continuity that was in place. And then if you needed to change head coaches, you could do. But now clearly we're four years into Daniel Farker and he's just signed a four year head coach. <laughs> uh, sorry, a four, four year new contract. Yeah, sorry, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you didn't say my name. So, um, yeah, well, I mean, I was buzzing when he signed the contract, to be honest. He brought us one of the best seasons we've ever had, even though we weren't there. Um, albeit we had Emmy Buendia and Ollie Skip, which in the back of my head, I'm kind of thinking, I don't know, maybe it's not Daniel, but maybe it's Emmy. Um, but anyway, I was delighted. I thought this, I, I believe Daniel Fark could coach for a top 
top side one day. I, I really do. And him and Stuart Weber just got that partnership. It just works, doesn't it? It's like Bonnie and Clyde or whatever, <laughs> you know, it's something like that. Um, but Stuart Webber is massive, uh, I think, for this football club. And if he left, I'm I'm concerned. I really am. I, I feel like we could be back to square one. Yeah, but like, maybe not in terms of um, backroom staff and what he's done, but just how we could be in positioning in the league. We could be like a, I think Sunderland's pushing it, but I don't know, like a, a Nottingham Forest or something like that. I just really, I feel like he's that glue that is keeping us together. And when he goes, I really think it's going to be unstuck. And that's what really concerns me because I love Daniel Fark and what he's done for this club has been monumental. We've seen some incredible football, but for me, I mean, I don't, stats don't lie. He's not, I don't, he's not good enough to coach in the Premier League. I just can't see it. He, he's never proactive. He never reacts. He, he always waits for the substitutions in the last 15 minutes, really, maybe 20 he tried it once against Everton and that backfired. And I think he I think he thinks too much about the opposition. He's stopped going to his principles. It's like he's a lost man for me. And I, I just I could be wrong. I hope I am. I'd I'd love nothing more for him to prove me wrong, to everyone wrong, but I just really can't see it. Uh, and I'm gutted. Mm. Well, in terms of the on-pitch stuff, Connor. Um, as Jason Morby says on Facebook, I'm worried that Farker doesn't know his best 11 and they must hate hearing this is a free hit job. It's getting them up for a fight, not knocking their confidence. Um, but there's this line in amongst Stuart's many words about being on the front foot against Leeds, about everybody being on the on the same wavelength. Now, we've talked in the previous pod quite a bit about 3-4-3, haven't we? But there's, there's no denying, particularly maybe with Gibson being suspended, that People are talking about that four-two-three-one again, aren't they? And saying, "Well, why doesn't he just go back to that?" That's what all the success was built uh, built upon. Yeah, and I think that that probably lends into my last point, really, about how he responds to this. Because I think to to drastically go away from what Norwich have done in the last three weeks with this back three and a system that before the Chelsea game looked looked pretty solid. For I think again, I I probably lean sort of to agree with Stuart that actually the Everton performance was pretty good. It was probably individual errors that cost Norwich City getting anything at Goodison Park rather than anything tactical. The Burnley game was obviously difficult, as as we said before. Brighton, if Josh Sargent tucks that in, suddenly uh, I think the outlook on the whole season is is radically different, um, but obviously didn't and, and and it isn't. So this is this is where they are at the moment. And, and this is now up to him to, to respond because do you completely move away from what he was trying to build in the last three games, which certainly I understood initially as um, making Norwich a bit more solid, making them hard to beat, keeping them within games, trying to reduce games to real small margins, because essentially if you do that, then you require less of an attacking threat at the top end of the pitch. You just need a chance. And when that chance arrives, you need to convert it to win a game 1-0. So I understood why he pushed Norwich in that direction. But equally, this defeat and and you reference Stuart's words there. I think a lot of fans will be thinking the same. Sunday, they, they need to show an attacking impetus. They need to show um, a desire to get at Leeds, to attack Leeds, to really force the issue. I, I think if if the team news drops at, at one at one o'clock on on Sunday afternoon and it's a, a three five two with with Puki and Sargent and and they and they look isolated again. I think most fans are, are already going to arrive pretty frustrated. Do I think it's as easy as going back to a 4-2-3-1? No, I would say, if anything, that would be pretty reckless given sort of the journey that Norwich City have been on this season. Do I find it strange that Norwich City moved to a formation that they didn't really play in pre-season at the start in a 4-3-3? Yes. Um, 
I think where we're probably heading is what we saw in the second half of the Chelsea game, which was a, a 3-4-3, probably with Rashica. Who, who fits on the other side, I don't know. Do you throw Scholes in? Do you give Sargent to go out there and look to replicate some of the positive signs that he showed against Watford? I'm not sure, but it's going to be really interesting to see what he does now because I think as a, as a coach, after beating being beat 7-0, uh, and Paddy wrote a good piece about this um, actually earlier in the week with uh, his column when he compared it to Alex Neal, sometimes you can overthink things a little bit. Um, Norwich actually had built a pretty good structure before that Chelsea game. And if he dispenses of that completely, I think that maybe if Norwich lose the game will raise more questions than if he doesn't. So I think it's a really difficult situation. But again, similarly to Stewart, irrespective of what he does, ultimately it will be judged by the final result. If Norwich win the game, it will be an excellent response and everyone will be really pleased. If they don't win the game, it should be, well, he should go back to a 4-2-3-1, etc. And just to lean into to what Jez said there, I think it was... a. Uh, an interesting point. Um, well, Daniel's made this point. Stuart has made it as well uh, about either you, you lose games as a head coach and you're a bit of a clown or you win them all and, and, and you're a genius. I think actually it's somewhere in the middle. You have to talk about Norwich City's championship title campaign last season and, and give Daniel Farker immense credit. But equally, he had a very talented group of players. And, and equally, you can see that um, this time that they've got a squad maybe that's a bit disjointed at the moment, isn't quite gelling. So I think the reality probably in both seasons is maybe wasn't as as uh, much of a genius as perhaps was portrayed. But equally, he's, he's not the clown maybe that he's been portrayed in, in some quarters as well. The, the reality is probably somewhere in the middle. And, and that ultimately is, I, I imagine, where Stuart Webber probably views this debate, to be honest. Yeah, and those nil-nil draws of what has made the Chelsea defeat so painful, aren't it? Because it's such a lurch. Like how, how do you go from looking so tight and taking that sensible approach to completely capitulating like that? It is, it's confusing for supporters. There's, there's almost no doubt about that. And the three, five, two, keeping the settled team. I think the vast majority of fans were on board with that. And when the teams dropped ahead of Chelsea, I didn't see a lot of people saying, no, this is, this is the wrong team. Um, Tony Kerrison uh, on Facebook is not optimistic, though. It doesn't matter how loud Carrow Road is. The team are not good enough. End of. Um, and Robin, I'll, I'll continue the sort of the tactical debate with with you. A couple of comments from Robert Marsh on YouTube here. Uh, decisions such as having Rashitsa and Jolis on the bench most games doesn't make sense to most fans when we've had glimpses of what they're capable of. Also, teams clearly know we will try and play out from the back and just press as high. So, yeah, Robin, the Stuart spoke a bit about Christos Jolis, didn't he? And I think that, again, has created a few waves in terms of they spent a lot of money on him. But he's he's uh, sort of a project player is almost what he was saying, wasn't he? That he's still only 19, but he's a Greece international. If you, if you spend that sort of money, I think fans are within their rights to expect that he he's going to have played more than, than he has, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, the... <laughs> It's strange, isn't it? I mean, we, we, we've signed two highly rated wide players and, and yet we're, we're playing a system that doesn't really need wingers. Um, I mean, again, you know, nobody really knows what's happening on, on the training ground. You know, maybe he, he hasn't hit the ground running uh, in the way that was hoped. Um, you know, there is a suggestion there's there's still sort of ongoing issues about the penalty against Liverpool, but I find that hard to believe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, you know, the, the the fact of the matter is that over the, the, the last few weeks, I think Daniel Park has moved towards a, a, a much more solid setup, and I do actually I do actually like 
the 3-5-2 because I think it can give you defensive solidity and also give you attacking options. But you, you've got to have the right players to, to, to actually generate those, those attacking options. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, coming back to Chelsea, you, you could have played any system you wanted at Chelsea, but with the lack of application and... and you know the ineptitude that, that, that was shown by the players. You, you'd have still got stuffed. Um, you know people get hung up on, on, on systems, and I mean Connor will, I'm sure, agree with me on this. You know that you know any system can work with with the right players. You know there is no one system that's better than than another system. You know you can't have a team playing three five two that can't beat a team that's playing. 4-3-3 or 4-4-2 and vice versa. It's all down to what the players do, do on the pitch and, and how well they're set up. So, you know, there, there, are, there are a lot of aspects to this. I think, you know, it, it, it tends to get simplified in debate and it's far from simple. Okay. Um, a couple more comments. Uh, Neil Luth says it's uh, the style and mentality. And the other one was Barry Young, who says if he starts the same team Sunday, it's not a good start. Um, so, Jez, let me put you on the spot then. Uh, team for Sunday. I mean, obviously, we're speaking ahead of uh, the, the team news and, and Daniel Fark's press conference and things like that on, on Friday. Omabamadeli is, is one of the options because we know Gibson is banned for one game. What sort of team would you like to see in light of what Stuart has said about needing to, to come out fighting and start on the front foot? Well, I, I'd like to see the 4-2-3-1, but uh, I know he's not going to do that. So I would like a 3-4-3. I, I feel like I would love us to play like how Nuno did at Wolves. You know, he had Neves and Moutinho and he was pinging the balls to the wing backs, and they were all getting in behind to provide the width. I would love if we played like that. I feel we could be really solid. Have Gilmore maybe with Norman um, or, or Norman with Kenny. Or, and then you've got Jolis and Rashica on the left and the right and Puki up front. But then you you don't really have anyone to hold the ball up. And that's how we want to play at times. And I'm, even Sargent can't really hold the ball up at times. And it, it's just, it's I, I feel like it's square pegs and round holes. I just think it, it's crazy. It's, it's, um, it just doesn't feel right. And I feel like Omar Delhi obviously is going to come in, but I, I just I feel like the three at the back, it will happen. And I just feel like it's just not going to be great before kickoff. Everyone's going to see the team and it'll probably be Sergeant and Pukki. Um, and, and he might take Lace Malou out and bring Billy Gilmore in. But Lace Malou, I mean, he got chopped off against Chelsea and I watched the whole thing. I didn't think he was terrible i thought he was pressing at least and uh, trying yeah <laughs> yeah he's trying you know even norman he was poor he's very poor yeah. he yeah i know he can't do it himself but he, he was he was poor like like ozan Quebec. he was he was poor i'm shocked how heavy his passes were how out of touch he was with just like we had a, a straight line for the hudson adoy goal and he was up up the pitch you know max aaron was all the way up the pitch and we're thinking what were the what what were the tactics like so i maybe going on that comment of it's not it is the formation and the and the and the tactics he's using it could be but yeah i'd love to see a free for free and i'd obviously love to see rashita and jollis that's all i want and then if he does that i can't really argue because everyone wants these players to play like maybe even todd or kieran dow some of them like they they deserve to play like we've had some really 
disappointing performances. Mm. And it just feels like a team of individuals at the moment. Yeah. I feel like Sergeant would be very fortunate to hold on to his place, to be to be mm. honest. I, I, you know, him and Pookie, again, uh, Stuart stuck up for them saying you know, that uh, whatever, I think the quote was um, any striker would have struggled in the way we were playing on Saturday. And obviously that is true. But I think for a midfield two, I, I'd be looking at Norman and Lisa Malou. And then, yeah, I'd want to see the two wide boys, Jolis and Rashid. So I'd probably still be playing Pookie through the middle. And then Campwell may not be possible. It depends on fitness and, you know, where him and Daniel are. And then either Dowell or Gilmore as sort of the 10 or, you know, maybe not even a traditional 10, maybe just a little bit more advanced than the other two. So, um, yeah, Omabama Deli, do you bring in a, such a young lad into such a pressured situation? It's very different to to coming into the middle of a, of a title push, isn't it? Um, Connor, here's a simple one I'll, I'll put you away, which you'll love me for. Uh, Lee Widdit, do you genuinely feel that Dios Job is under threat after Weber's comments? And I guess we put that into the wider context of the games we've got coming before the international break and then the games that are immediately after it. Yeah, thanks for that one, Dave. Um, I, th- I think <laughs> it, when, when you look at the fixture list um, at, at the moment as uh, Norwich City's next five games, you see Leeds, Brentford, Southampton, Wolves, Newcastle. Those are five games. Forget Norwich. If you're a Premier League team that wants to stay in the division, you have to extract points out of these games. Um, so I, I, I think, and this is how I read it, I think, he, he will be probably given the, these games to try and, and, and address it because let's be frank, Norwich win three of these of these five matches. Suddenly they're in 14th and the picture looks a lot more rosy. We know in reality it's going to be a lot tougher than that. Um, and it's it's probably going to be a bit more difficult in that. They might have to sacrifice a, a win for a point here and there. And sometimes draws are really pivotal in the long run for what you can do in the Premier League. Uh, Stuart referenced yesterday the, the draw against Millwall last season when they went to the den. The pitch was terrible. It was um, a not particularly aesthetically pleasing game, should we say, that Norwich City played in. But they banked a point. Everyone on the night probably felt a bit frustrated. But they probably look back on that in May as being really crucial. So I think I think you, you can't underestimate the value of points. Obviously, they've got two um, against Brighton and Burnley. If they're going to get to, I, I think personally, it'll take 36 points to, to stay up. So we're probably looking at 12 results, really, for Norwich City in 29 games if, if they're to stay up. And, and, and probably 10 of those need to be wins. So these five games are, are an opportunity to, to do that. And I think they probably will give Daniel that unless something goes dramatically wrong. Uh, I think we, we've spoken about Sunday. He's probably taken the heat off it a little bit in terms of Daniel Farker's immediate future, because if it had come out and been a, a little bit more vague, then and that probably could have been open for interpretation. I don't get the sense that defeat to Leeds on Sunday would be the end of Daniel Farker. I think it will be more reflective of the performance. Now, if Norwich go out lose 4-0, roll over, the performance isn't great and we don't see this response that we're expecting to see after a 7-0 defeat, then I think that probably changes the debate entirely. I think it's probably a little bit more fluid than he has X amount of games to save his job. I think it will be assessed um, based on performances, based on results. But ultimately, if we if we move past these these five games and Norwich City is still bottom of the table on two points, Daniel Farker won't be Norwich City's head coach. Yeah, it does feel fairly tidy like that. And you, you say about the 29 games remaining as well. Obviously, four or five of them are against the big boys. And it's that approach. We spoke about this bit in the last pod, didn't we? But Robert Marsh sums it up quite well in his comment here. Farker coming out after games such as Chelsea and saying we wouldn't have beat them on our best day does not instill confidence. 
uh, in anyone, including the team itself. And yeah, I feel like uh, that change in mentality is, is certainly something that people are, are going to want to see and it's probably going to be needed to see uh, to be seen if this season is going to turn around. And what a story it would be, to be honest, just to be, you know, to, to dream a little bit for a second. If they did manage to turn this around, if they go and beat Leeds 3-0 on Sunday or whatever, it's going to be a heck of a story in the way that this was just growing pains and things. Robin, the other thing we've had this week, of course, is the finances, which um, is, is always a big thing for Norwich City, isn't it? You know, they posted this 21.5 million profit um, that was helped by Buendia, of course, because he was sold in June. Um, and then that has been a big part of them being able to spend the money that they did this summer. Stuart is is absolutely integral to that, isn't he? And, and again, that the finances highlighted this week that the sale of players and, and generating young talent and things is crucial. And, and I suppose that should colour this whole debate that Daniel Farker and Stuart Webber don't have easy jobs, do they? You know, there was to, even if this goes wrong for Stuart and he eventually were just, for instance, were to leave this season, he will still have a lot of admirers within the game. Daniel Farker will still have a lot of admirers for, from within the game because he sort of had such limited resources to work with comparatively. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this is the difficult thing. You know, uh, sacking Daniel Farker might seem pretty simple, but it's not because the whole club has been set up to play in, in a particular way, which has been dictated by Daniel Parker. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that <laughs> a few months ago, we were all saying, yeah, that's absolutely wonderful. That's that, 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 that's brilliant. That's a fantastic structure for the club. But it, it does present a complication if, if the head coach falters and, and, and the, the club feels that they have no option that, but to move on from it. Um, so, you know, I think that's uh, that's a bit of a difficult one. Uh, going forward um, but you know I think it's also worth it at this point to mention Ben Cancel um, because the way in which Ben managed the finances of the club over the last few years has been exceptional I mean I, I've worked with Ben uh, quite a lot through the, through the trust obviously and got to know him quite well um, and you know he, he did a, an absolutely fabulous job and I think it's a, a great shame that, that the club's lost him and it will be interesting to see what impact that has going forward in terms of the financial management. Um, but yes, you're right. I mean, Stuart is integral, um, but to a large extent, you'd say also so is Daniel. Um, so it, it's it's a complicated situation and a, a difficult one to pick your way through. It is. And the finances are, are complex. Of course, you can read them all on, on our websites, EDP, the News, Pink, and uh, in-depth um, analysis of all of that. And they're complex, but they're familiar because Norwich dropped out of the Premier League again. And that was the financial year that we were seeing. So we're all used to this drop in broadcast income and them having to stabilise. And then, of course, they bounce back. So, um, yeah, summing them up in a, in a podcast isn't easy. But, Jez, what Stuart spoke about was, I think he said they would be... Was it the 11th highest spending club in Europe during the summer transfer window? I'm, fa I'm fairly sure was what, what he pitched it as. So a big element of, of his media has been having a pop back at the talk sports and, and the nonsense that has been spoken. But And that has there has been some absolute nonsense. But I, I feel like within the Norwich City bubble almost, most people already know that. And I'm, I'm almost still a little bit surprised that Stuart has, has felt the need to come out and sort of bite back against it because it is such absolute nonsense but he clearly it has got to him at some point 
It has, hasn't it? It's, he said it in the interview. He's like, the team have got to show some teeth. Well, he certainly showed some teeth, didn't he? I don't, I don't think I've ever, we've ever seen Weber do something like that. You know, um, obviously it was, it was talk sport. Everyone knows what it was in that. And, um, but it's just, it's just interesting, isn't it? Because Weber, he, I, I, I always love listening to Stuart Weber's interviews. I, I, I love it. I, I, every time I feel like Norwich are in a bad place, I feel like we need him. We need like Mufasa. We, we need him. We need him. Do you know what I mean? Like, Daniel. Exactly. We need him. He's always open. He's honest. You know, he's so insightful. And um, he may, it may not have been what we wanted to hear at the moment. And he has bit back, even at fans. I agree with Connor. I, I think he, he has. You know, the fans pay a lot of money to watch what's happened this season. And they're entitled to what... They've got to say, you know, when I went to Man City, I spent 70 quid on that. 70 quid on a 5-0 performance like that. It was the first minute and we turned our backs, so to speak. Uh, and it was it was carnage. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I stand by my point um, on Stuart Weber. I think he's brilliant. Um, and I'm worried if he does go. <laughs> I really am. Because, fuck. Um, I saw um, an interview on ITV Anglia on uh, Stuart Weber as well. And uh, they did ask him the question, is Daniel Farker sackable? And he, well, he said, well, yeah, basically. He said, anyone's sackable. So at least you feel like he's got, a, he can't say no. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not with him. Um, but it just feels like that's, is it, is it the right thing? Is it what we need to hear? Is it, I don't know. It's just all, it's all what happens on Leeds, I feel like. Um, and if you give him Brentford, if you give him, we've got some Southampton, we've got some big fixtures coming up. And I look at Brentford and I think, no, they're really good, Leeds. I watched them against Arsenal in the Cup. They hassled Arsenal in the first 45 minutes. And the way we like to play from the back, if I see Grant Hanley on the ball trying to pass out, he's going to be pressed by Daniel James and it's just we're just going to be in trouble. Uh, so, Yeah, James gave Krull quite a bit of problems a couple yeah, of years, yeah. didn't he, um, in that, when he was with Swansea and stuff. That is a brilliant Stuart as Mufasa. <laughs> that, that, that will, <laughs> yeah. that will he is, isn't he? Come on, we love him. We love Stuart. Oh, come on. <laughs> I can't remember the exact comment I saw somewhere on Twitter this morning. Someone said, I don't know if I agree with everything that Weber said. and I don't know if I liked all of it, but he's almost like a hypnotist. I I, I still feel a lot more comforted <laughs> by having listened to him. And yeah, he is a talented communicator. I've, I've said yeah, it before. Yeah. He, that side of it, he, he has been very good. And he has sort of revol revolutionised the communication element. Um, of the club, really. So, yeah, for whether you like it or don't like it, he's he's fronted up to it. He's spoken to everyone that wanted to to speak to him. It wasn't just us, like you say. He spoke to ITV, he spoke to the Radio Norfolk Boys, etc. He did the in-house club one as well. But his thoughts are out there now, as we've all sort of hinted at. Really, if it goes wrong on Sunday, if they do get spanked four or five nil against Leeds at home, they are going to come back and bite him on the backside and he knows full well that but that's his job it's he plays high stakes poker essentially um connor we won't get too much into the Leeds game because you've got terrace talk coming um between now and the game as well which of course is, is 2 p.m on sunday for sky sports you've also um had a player interview as well haven't you um which will uh we're putting out in the next couple of days um so it, it, it's a busy time but um Leeds, you know as, as mentioned there calvin phillips is back 
they their position in the table, they did finish ninth last year, but they've only got one win so far this year. It's not the easiest game, but there isn't an easy game in the Premier League, is there? This is it. This is it. And in many ways, um, maybe perhaps Daniel Farker can can take confidence from the fact if if you ask Norwich fans, I'm sure if you put a microphone in front of their face and gave them a split second to tell you perhaps what the best Norwich City tactical performance has been since Daniel Farker was in charge, they'd point to that game away at Ellen mm. Road. Marcelo Bielsa was in charge. Everyone knows how he wants to play football. Um, Norwich know what they're going to get from Leeds on, on Sunday. Um, Marcelo Bielsa will, will probably even tell Daniel Farker his lineup in his uh, pre-match press conference tomorrow. So everything is is there for Daniel Farker. All of the tools are there for Daniel Farker. Um, yeah, I, everyone needs to see a response. I think that's that's the minimum expectation. It needs to be a decent performance. And as as Weber said yesterday, I think it's extremely difficult to just say Daniel has X amount of games because he's right. If Norwich City are absolutely brilliant on Sunday, hit the bar four times, the goalkeeper has a worldie and lose 1-0, then what do you do then? Because surely that's a step in the right direction. Um, but what he has done, which is which is interesting, and, and you mentioned the, the high-stakes game of poker that he's playing, is... He is now, as we've spoken about, essentially this is a really big decision because he's elected to stick with a coach that probably any other club in English football wouldn't have. That's that's remarkable. That's that's really brave. And it could um, have a big impact, not just on Daniel's career, but his as well. Because if this goes in the wrong direction, then people are going to look at that and say, well, all the signs were there after Chelsea and you didn't make that decision. Um Equally, if Norwich City now go and win their next five games, move up the table, then everyone's going to look at it as a stroke of genius. So, again, all of this is impacted somewhat by results. Um, but as, as you say, Dave, it's it's going to be a really fascinating game. Daniel Farker and Norwich need to come out and deliver a response. I, I think in, in many ways, his press conference tomorrow, um, beyond the injury news, I'm not sure many people will, will particularly be that interested in because it, it's going to be about the game Sunday. It's going to be about what happens on the pitch. And again, we've just spent 40-odd minutes speaking about Stuart Webber, but ultimately, if Norwich City don't win that game on Sunday, everything is just going to ramp up. The pressure is going to ramp up. The the ill feeling is going to ramp up. And I think, as, as we've spoken about, nobody wants to get to that stage with with Daniel, he's he's someone that's done a remarkable job in, in four years at this football club, not just what he's done on the pitch, but also what he's helped facilitate and build off it as well. So um, I guess it's it's good that perhaps we're not in the Nigel, Nigel Worthington Burnley zone, so to speak, but um, nobody wants to see it go in the wrong direction. And, and, and let's hope that's not the case. But as you said there, no game in the Premier League is easy. Leeds are low on confidence as well. It's worth adding. They've had a lot of defensive injuries in particular. I think there is space for Norwich City to go and get at them if, if they do want to play a 3-4-3 and implement some pace into their side, which I think he, he probably will do. So, yeah, it's... Um, it's going to be really. I'm just really intrigued to see which direction he opts to go in, which direction the team go in, and then what happens thereafter. Because I think until then, um, a lot of uh, of everything is 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 going to be very difficult to kind of judge and assess and rank. I suppose. Yeah, it is. Uh, Neil Luther says fine margins. Should have got something from the Leicester game, won the Brighton game, and we would be on five points. Not great, but that's the difference between winning losing or drawing i'm not going to get through all the comments there are so many there um, but i can see like for instance there ryan g farker out today dave bowers farker and weber have simply not delivered beyond championship levels there's, there's a real mix a bit like we were saying at, at the start of the of this podcast there there is a bit of a of a split not everybody is has turned um adam says i hope that the changes we need brackets whatever they are are made before the atmosphere turns toxic and i think 
Rob, I'll probably give the, the last word to you, really, is in terms of, of that atmosphere on Sunday. We already said that it was it was good against Brighton, but do you feel like, for instance, Connor's just mentioned Nigel Wormington, that, that was a horrible day, wasn't it? That 4-1 against Burnley. And I, I mentioned that in our last pod that, in the, our in our live blog on Saturday during the Chelsea game, somebody said that they'd be heartbroken to see Daniel Farga have to go through treatment like that. So it's a very difficult balance for fans, isn't it? Because you want it, you need to make your voice heard, and really the ways of doing that are what booing and and chanting and stuff at games. That's generally how it goes. But yeah, I just hope in in this this world of you know avoiding abuse of people and things like that, because it can be a very cruel world that somehow, if it were to end up like that, which no one wants, of course, that it doesn't turn nasty against Daniel Farker. Yeah, I mean, I hope so too, Dave, but I don't actually think that that's, that's what will, will, will happen. Um, unfortunately, you know, I remember you, you mentioned Worthington. I remember the last days of Alex Neal as well. And yeah. Alex Neal did wonderful things at the club, but it got very, very toxic. Um and sadly, uh, the same could happen here because, you know, there's a lot of pent-up frustration and disappointment and I suppose also embarrassment amongst uh, fans at how poor we've, we've been this season. And, you know, the, the sort of group mentality, it just needs a few people to, to, to kick it off and it's like chucking a, chucking a lighted match into a, you know, a haystack. Um, it, it will pick up and, and, and it will get quite nasty quite quickly. Um, you know, I hope I'm wrong in that, but, you know, I've been going to football for over half a century and I've seen it so many times. Um, you know, whatever somebody's done, if, if, if the majority turn against you, it, it tends not to be pretty. Mm, absolutely. Right. Well, that's the air cleared, which is, I think, was probably the main idea of Stuart speaking out, wasn't it? Um, as, as I said a little while ago, no one can accuse him of uh, keeping his head down. He said what he said, what he had to say, and you take it or you leave it now. And we all head to Carrow Road, back to Carrow Road on Sunday and, and see what happens. Robin, Jez, thank you very much for joining us. Connor, thank you very much for your thoughts. And I will just uh, emphasize, if you've not already listened or watched the Stuart Weber interviews, you can watch that on the Pink and YouTube channel, the Pink and Audio channel, or of course the EDP, Eden News and Pink and websites. But for now, thank you very much for watching and we'll catch you soon.